dear listeners, welcome to Extra Extra, it's all about whiskey. I am your host, Jason Johnston Yellen, and I'm joined by the inimitable, the one and only, the normal host with the most, but today he takes a back seat to me, it is Joshua Hatton. Welcome, Joshua Morrissey Hatton. I love the word inimitable. (laughs) So each week on Extra Extra, you and I try to record a tight 30 minutes Mm -hmm. discussing some whiskey story that you've seen or I've seen or or a listener has sent to us. Mm -hmm. And we cover the story in the first 15 minutes and then we have a little chat about said story over the second 15 minutes. And I think it's good for us. We, we're we not afraid to get tangential in One Nation Under Whiskey. I, I would say it's more that we don't know how to not get tangential. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I, I think Extra Extra really exercises our staying on topic muscle. Would you agree with that statement? I do agree with that. It is exceedingly difficult, but I think for the most part, we do an okay job. Well, and I'm going to tease you on how difficult I'm finding it this morning, because over the weekend, we watched both the first Lord of the Rings movie with our boys, and last night I watched The Terminator, and I want to talk about all of it, but Uh, I'm going to hold off until our next One Nation Under Whiskey intro, where we we cover the latest in uh, movies from the 20th century. Yeah, please, please (laughs) hold off on discussing movies like Lord of the Rings and Terminator until our next whiskey podcast. So, uh, what story did you bring us, Joshua? I actually brought a story that a listener brought to our attention, and and I've known about this piece actually for a couple of years, and I have not... (laughs) Timely? Well, so it's it's an opinion piece. It's not necessarily the news, but it's an opinion piece. Opinion pieces were all the news last week. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And so I've known of this article. People have sent me this article countless times. I guarantee they sent you this article countless times. But the headline has always left me running. Like I, I just I, I didn't want to read this. And finally, uh, Tim Mushaw, who's a good nation member, also a listener of One Nation Under Whiskey, and now Extra Extra, it's all about whiskey, sent this article from scotchwhiskey.com, and the headline is, Stop Idolizing Single Cask Whiskies. Ah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was published on the 10th of July, 2018, by someone named Joe Rogers. Okay. And so what I want to do is I'm going to read the entire article, hopefully without stopping. It's, It's not exceedingly long. But seeing as we only have the, the 15 minutes, I want, I want to get all of this out the way. I okay. reserve the right to interrupt whenever I see fit. Okay, good. The article is called Stop Idolizing Single Cask Whiskies. It was published 10th of July, 2018, by Joe Rogers on scotchwhiskey.com. And it states... Is that J-O as opposed to J-O-E? No, it's J-O-E. Okay. Should I say Joe? Maybe it was a Joanna Rogers who... Posted it. Just clear on the decks here. Uh-huh. Yep. It starts off. 
It's an important coming-of-age moment for whiskey drinkers when we learn that single malt scotch whiskey isn't generally poured directly from the cask to bottle. For many of us, this is a father Christmas-sized realization. It can be disappointing to learn that a product that has been sold to us as elemental and pure to be revered and ritualized actually comprises the contents of dozens of casts of spirit, chill-filtered and cut with Glaswegian tap water. In some instances, other products are available. (laughs) It goes on. Our romantic (laughs) notions about whiskey manufacture formed on a basic understanding of the process are challenged and we are forced to confront stark industrial reality. Your mom and dad were buying the presents all along and your whiskey was put together by people. If I've been the one to break these home truths to you, I can only apologize. I believe that our desire is for whiskey to be essential and natural which is why we whiskey nerds get misty-eyed when we read certain words on our bottles, such as non-chill filtered, natural color, cast strength, and so on. These phrases play on our acquired ideas about purity and authenticity in whiskey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? They promise the kind of pure experience that we've been taught to expect by marketing and received wisdom by our fellow scotch drinkers. The most potent promise of authenticity that a whiskey bottle can bear is the claim that its contents came from one cask. The single cask expression, stamped with a birthday and bottling date, is always an exciting prospect. The industry offers so little by way of transparency that the image of a lone bourbon barrel or sherry butt resting in the dunnage is a tacit promise of something concrete. It implies a connection to the distillery, to the people who work there, and to Scotland. It also assures us that a particular expression will be super limited. Even the largest cast will only yield 500 bottles or so, depending on the bottling proof. What it doesn't guarantee, however, is that the juice inside will be any good. That's Mm -hmm. that's true. Okay, so so far I'm with him on this. So far, Mm -hmm. you know, we say that like there comes a point where you're not with him. Well, (laughs) right, because the headline is clickbait headline for whiskey dorks, right? Okay, and this is why for two years I've dodged this because the headline annoyed me. (laughs) Okay, but so far I'm I'm I agree with uh, the good Joe Rogers here. There is a there is a small portion there, of course, where he talks about kind of the misunderstandings that surround standard releases. He then suggests one of his own, which is a single cask is simply laid down in a warehouse and never touched mm. until it's bottled. Mm-hmm. That's a, a misconception that you and I have obviously spent mm-hmm. time overcoming as Debunking. well. Debunking, so. yeah, yeah. Okay, carry on, carry yeah. on. Now, I'll admit that my day job selling whiskey, separate from my side hustle of writing about it and my hobby drinking it, has left (laughs) me somewhat jaded about the claims made on whiskey bottles. If you Mm -hmm. happen to catch... Good, there you go. There you go. I like this. Coming out of the woods now. Good. If you happen to catch me after a few highballs, I might well tell you that single malt scotch is a marketing ploy that got a bit out of hand and that authenticity, which he put in quotes as a general concept, was invented by admin in the 1980s. I would also 
agree with that. I'm not going to deny the allure of single-cast bottlings, but I will argue that we need to be wary of assuming that those two words are a mark of quality. The contents of a cask will mature differently based on an enormous number of variables. Mm -hmm. The size and provenance of the cask, its previous contents and conditions, its position in the warehouse, and the climate in and around the warehouse all play part. Not all casks are created equal, and there's no guarantee that the contents of every one will mature into liquid that is amazing drinking on its own. Mm -hmm. Independent bottlers who trade primarily on single-cask whiskeys build the reputations on the ability to select casks with magic happening inside them, but nobody bottles gold 100% of the time. Uh-huh. I shall name no names, but there are plenty of ultra-limited single-cask, cast-strength, fully-leaded, <laughs> high-octane releases out there, distillery bottlings and otherwise, that are a bit one-note or just plain ropey. Yep, right. agreed. Agreed. I've tasted cast samples that I assumed would be amazing based on their origin and age, but were overly (laughs) woody or just too deep, old, and murky to qualify as a well-rounded drams in their own right. Mm -hmm. Such whiskeys wouldn't be much cop as a single cast bottlings, but they can still be amazing combined with other whiskeys that provide them with structure and or contrast. A salty, rich sherry cask so tannic that it tastes like a chair leg can provide ballast to a marriage that contains other, perhaps lighter whiskeys and still go on to make up part of a great single malt. I think for, for the most part he's making sense here, but it also makes me think of our good friend Mark Watt when we interviewed him when he was making small batches for Cadenheads where the the misconception around small batches is it's where bad whiskey goes to be hidden. And and Mark's argument then was, but it's small batch. You can't you can't do a lot with a small batch. You can't take a really heavy, woody, chair leg whiskey and use it in equal proportions with other lighter stuff and have some magic happen. Well you no. you gotta go into a much larger vatting. To make that work. And right. And, and so I, I don't think that Joe is suggesting small batch creations will allow that, you know, chair leg over oaked tannic yeah. sherry bomb to shine. I think he's talking, you know, in, in broad brush statements, blending. Okay. The fact that s- there are certain casks that can and should only be component whiskeys rather than single cask whiskeys. So we're not talking about the size of the blend, just that there are certain casks that can be good enough as a single cask, and then some that are really destined toward component whiskey of a, of a larger blend, of a larger release. Okay. So, uh, ba, 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 ba. an industry that rolled out only single cask whiskeys might tick a lot of transparency and authenticity boxes, but it would be economically ruinous and its products would be wildly inconsistent. They're not ideal. They're just one type of scotch. Okay, so, th- so think about that part. Basically, what he's saying here is that single cask whiskey is a type of scotch. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, this is an idea that I kind of like. He goes on, and we're almost done, by the way. 
It's always worth remembering the craftspeople who keep the industry alive. The vast majority of whiskeys you or I have ever tasted were the result of someone who is very good at their job playing the qualities of individual casks against each other. There is a whole world beyond the single cask, and it is there that most of the great drams that have ever existed were made. Okay, final few sentences, and, and, then, and then we can move on. Mm-hmm. Joseph Krug, a legend in the champagne world, was especially proud of his cuvées or non-vintage blends because he felt that they were true reflections of his skill as a winemaker. Once remarking Krug cuvée, and I do apologize if I pronounce Krug wrong, or Krug, however it's pronounced, Krug Café is my baby. For vintage champagne, I have to share the credit with God. A single cask whiskey does not quite equal the vintage in a champagne, but there may still be a lesson to be learned here from M. Krug about the role of craft in the construction of her favorite drinks over chance and divine intervention. Once again, I know single cask whiskey can be great. However, I do not agree with the way of thinking that values such bottlings as superior because they have less intervention from the whiskey makers. There isn't some platonic form of malt at each distillery that every expression is either close to and therefore great or far from and therefore rubbish. I believe that a balanced way of looking at single casks is not to think of them as the most single of single malt scotches, but rather as one style of whiskey. And as always, we must be aware that we are being marketed to and judge only the liquid in the bottle. End scene. I have things to say. Okay, well, hold your thoughts until we hear this little jingle. So let me begin at the end. All right. Because it's the part that's still in my head. (laughs) When he, Joe, concludes with a reminder that we're being marketed to, we can can explore that in a second. Mm -hmm. But if he's kind of throughout the article thinking about the consumer and how the consumer thinks about these different tears, these these different types of scotch, as he says. Mm -hmm. I would say that consumers believe single casks to have the least marketing around them. And I think that's why some consumers value single casks as much as they do, because you can't really build a marketing story around a single cask that has, quote-unquote, sat in the corner of a warehouse, uh, okay. never to be touched by the whiskey maker or the blender. It only gets picked up and sent to the bottling hall. You and I, and Joe, clearly from, from the way he, he writes here, know that that isn't the case with single casks. However, the marketing around single casks seems to write itself like, I remember when Glendronach came out with a line of single casks. Mm. You, all you had to do was tell the right consumers, hey, 
we're releasing OB single casks and they disappeared off shelves. Yeah. <laughs> right? yep. You, yep. you didn't have to tell a story because maybe it was already imprinted within the consumer. Oh, those are single units that have sat in corners of warehouses and never been touched. Mm. I must get my hands on this it's, most pure form of Glendrona. That's uh, marketing. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but but there, yeah, but there's, and and I apologize if I'm stepping on your toes here, but but I, I why start apologizing right? now? Why start apologizing now? But there clearly, I think, is a difference between the consumer going after the Glendronic single casks, the Benriach single casks, the Balveni 15-year-old, you know, different single casks that they do, and so on, and the single casks that independent bottlers release. In the mm, okay, okay, OB versus IB. OB okay, versus continue. IB, right? Because, you have my attention. Because those that have gone down the rabbit hole far enough and actually understand, and, and, and I'm playing off what you opened your statements with, right? And these people understand that independent bottlers are showing you that transparency, are, are pulling, pulling the blinds away. These people, and I put ourselves in this, you know, in this, you know, silo, and I put a lot of I put a lot of our nation members into this silo. They understand that they have been marketed to for years. They they get the marketing, mm-hmm. right? It's it's now okay. Independent bottlers doing this. I mean, first off, you would have had to have penetrated through a distillery's marketing. Uh, you know, of it coming from them as the best version to find the independent bottler who could not, they may not be saying they have the best version, but they have a version. You're already cutting through some form of marketing. You're already getting behind the curtain a little bit. But it seems like, like what you're trying to say is that, and I, and I'm not sure I actually agree with you if I'm understanding you correctly, is that independent bottlers are, are like we say in our tagline, Whiskey selected by geeks for geeks, right? I clearly agree that you and I are doing that. But but writ large, I would argue that independent bottlers mm-hmm. are as part of that marketing salvo as anybody else. I, I don't think IBs get a free pass I, no, when I, compared to the OBs. I, I don't think that IBs, independent bottlers get a free pass. What I'm saying is that the consumers of independently bottled whiskey more than likely are already so deep into the rabbit hole that that they see beyond the marketing. That what they're looking for is that juice inside, exactly what, what Joe is trying to say. In the end, what's important is you need to judge the bottle based on the liquid inside. And that, for me, as someone who purchases independently bottled whiskey, I'll say, okay, Caddenheads, I like them. Ooh, it's a Laphroaig. I like that. Let's see what it's like. And then I will judge that whiskey based on the contents inside. If, it, if it's a bad whiskey, I'm going to say, geez, I didn't like it. You know, a, a, a really good example. 
I'm not going to mention the bottler, but there was a bottler who did a sherry cask peated Ben Nevis that I bought mm. sight unseen. I never heard of the bottler, but the price was right. I love Ben Nevis. I love sherry, and I've never had peated Ben Nevis, so let's give it a go. Opened it. I thought it was terrible, so I gave it to you. I was going to say, is that one that's sitting on my shelf now and that I will reach for of an evening? It's a big, funky monkey. It's a big, funky monkey. But So the point that I was trying to make is that I think there are a lot of people who follow independently bottled whiskeys, single cask or no, who might be comfortable enough in their palate to say, ah, you know what, I really didn't. Yeah, it was single cask. And and that's supposed to be great and all, but that that wasn't great. And you can go around on Facebook and Instagram and 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 Twitter and see plenty of other people saying, "Oh, you know what? I tried this one from Single Cast Nation. I didn't love it so much. Or I tried this one yeah. from Gordon McPhail. I didn't love it so much." And you know, and so I I want to try teasing out something that that we faced on Friday, which is a Nation member who reached out to say. I bought your Rudvor and and I didn't like it. And I and I sold it on at cost mm, to mm-hmm. to a, to another person here. And that's our, our retail, right? And and that nation member had said I I went into it as a peated Highland and I went into it expecting it to be more like like an Isla whiskey. And so it's it's inter- interesting to me that and I'm, and I'm trying to play with what Joe is saying about marketing here. It's interesting that you could have some a product that is transparent, mm-hmm. a product that clearly states what it is, peated Highland whiskey, but then still have a consumer say, I don't like that bottling, that single cask, mm. because it didn't fit my preconceptions. Yeah. And it's... And then as the independent bottler, if you're if you're Glendronach and you put out your your single cask, the whiskey loving world knows what Glendronach tastes like mm-hmm. and goes into that Glendronach having a ballpark idea of just how good, just how elevated these single cask flavors might be. As an independent bottler, when you're pulling from multiple distilleries and multiple styles. It seems like there's much more variety there, and and the the opportunity for somebody to say, oh, this didn't fit what I expected it to be, mm-hmm. and at that point, and one of the things you and I have have always been careful with in the almost ten years of running the company is is Rudvor a bad whiskey because somebody doesn't like it. Does the Rudvor remain a good example of the category that it occupies? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and does that consumer have some role to play in this when the flavor profile didn't fit their preconceived ideas? Like, and that, that this is this for me is the difficulty with Joe's article is I don't think you can answer all of those questions at any one time for any group of consumers. No, but you can ask all of those questions and and apply it to the various types of scotch whiskey or various types of whiskey regardless. 
whether it's a single cask, whether it's single malt comprised of dozens of casks, whether it's a blend, whether it's a bourbon, you know, at, at the end of the day, we should be judging the whiskey based on its contents and not the marketing around it. Agreed. Agreed. So I do like that all those questions that you asked can be applied to the various types of whiskeys. So it leads me to the question, do you agree with Joe that he's, he's suggesting that single cask scotch whiskey, single mm-hmm. cask, single malt scotch whiskey or single cask, single grain scotch whiskey should be its own category? That it shouldn't be compared to your Glenfiddich 15s, your uh, Ardmore whatevers. Do you, do you agree with that? Absolutely. And I've always thought that about single casks. And, and whenever I lead my tastings and I'm trying to articulate for somebody what it is we're pouring for them, I start out by talking about the large blending houses Mm. and the number of casks that are being brought together from numerous distilleries to create a flavor profile. And I contrast that with the single malt distilleries that we know and how many casks go into producing that single malt. And then I talk about, as as an independent bottler with Single Cask Nation, identifying single casks that then go into bottle. Uh, And so for me, there are three distinct striations there that are saying, this is one style over here, the the blended scotches over there. Mm -hmm. This is a style here, the single malts that are vatted, you know, with casks from a single distillery. And then here are these single casks, as you and I have always talked about, these singular moments in time that aren't, as Joe suggests, the platonic ideal of any given distillery. But as I suggested in a previous episode of One Nation Under Whiskey, the Heracletian ideal that change mm-hmm. is the very nature of existence. Mm-hmm. And I think the mistake, is, as we alluded to in that episode of One Nation Under Whiskey, is that we go searching for, or we believe the single cask is the platonic ideal of any one distillery. And that's a mistake. Mm. It's simply, this is the singular moment in time from distillery X. What do you think of that? What do you learn about the distillery from this single cask? So that when we then release another cask from distillery X, we say, and what do you learn about distillery X this time from this single cask? And so they they all exist as singular moments in time. And absolutely stand as individual categories. You? I 100% believe single cask whiskey should be of its, should be in its own category. But I don't necessarily believe that it's always better. It's definitely... Oh, agreed. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I would argue, however, that even if it's not always better... The more single cast whiskeys that you taste, you're tasting more flavors than a distillery would normally allow you to taste, uh, and and that I like. I, I don't necessarily think that it's it's going to be better. And by tasting flavors, a distillery wouldn't normally show you. You know, I'm talking about um, you know if it's Lafroy ten year old cast strength, 
an independent bottler could be releasing a 10-year-old first fill sherry Lafroig, you know, that's cast strength, but single cask. And I would say, oof, you know, that's going to be different. It may not be better than Lafroig's cast strength, but it surely is going to be different and it's going to be interesting to try. But let me, let me, I know we've, we've got just a minute here, but I want to ask you a personal question here. <laughs> Let's say you walk into your favorite shop and they have a single cask Lafroig bottled by Lafroig. 10 years old, $100. Next to it are also single Laphroaig 10-year-old casks bottled by your two favorite independent bottlers. You've, mm-hmm. got, you've got enough money for one. Now, they're all mm-hmm. 10 years old. They're all first fill bourbon. Which one do you go for? And they're all by some... One is bottled by Laphroaig. And then the other two are bottled by your top two favorite independent bottlers. But they're all the same price. They're all the same price. Yeah, you've, you've, you've faced me with a Burian's ass situation here. <laughs> you've, you have shown me your Burian's ass, which is when faced with two competing ideals that are identical, we absolutely cannot choose between the two. I would stand in the store in, in paralyzed wonder that I didn't have enough money to buy all three. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. <laughs> but but the, re- the reason I ask this question is I think there would be a segment of people that would say, I'm going to get Laphroaig's because that was bottled by Laphroaig. And then you'd get another segment of people that would say, you know what? Caddenheads never let me down. Single cast nation never let me down. Infrequent flyers never, you know, whatever it is. And I think you would find people that are going to follow their palate to what never let them down. But what I'm most pleased about is the nation is stocked with whiskey lovers who would find a way to buy all three. That's what I like. That's what makes me very happy. Uh, Listen, Joshua... Our tight 30 has come and gone. You and I, as we've shown on every episode of One Nation Under Whiskey, could talk about this much, much longer. But we want to respect the model we created Mm. for Extra Extra. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to leave the conversation here for the day and get out of this. Thanks to Tim Mushaw for sending it in. Thanks to you for reading it out to us. Thanks to Joe Rogers for writing it. And this has been Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey. If you want to send us your own article, just use questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com, no E in whiskey, and we might cover that in a future episode of Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey. Cheers, Joshua. Cheerio, Jason. See, I knew I had that up my sleeve anytime I needed to pull it out, so I wasn't too worried. Why is it in your sleeve and not in your pants? Uh, you don't want to see my elephant impression again. <laughs> uh, all right. Okay. Yeah. So, should we start? Yeah, do it. Tight 30? As best we can.